Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome to the Church of Roy, an armchair all-American podcast. Warning, today's show may include adult language. Now here are your hosts, Brian Wilcox and Steve DeWalt. Welcome, everybody, to the newest episode of the Church of Roy podcast. Chin up, everybody. We're recording after a heroic, thrilling, and ultimately heartbreaking Game 5 performance. Uh, The series is not over. We will be getting this out to you before Game 6. Brian, you were there. How you feeling a day later? How you doing, bud? I'm I'm down, but I'm not out, Steve. There's a we got game tomorrow night to get back on the winning track, and I sure as shit hope we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, let's just get right into it. I mean, yep. Damian Lillard played out of this world last night. I I don't know if I have ever seen a Blazers player or really in my life outside of Clay Thompson's third quarter against Oklahoma city, a player play like that in the postseason. Um, I thought that game was over at multiple times. I was also doing the recap for that game. So I was writing, then erasing, writing, then erasing, which I'll take that any day. I mean, that excitement is, is awesome. I definitely um, have the, I have the text receipts. <laughs> yeah. You thought it was over early. <laughs> I, I did. I definitely, the, the double digit lead in the way Monte Morris was playing early, which we'll get into that a little later. I really thought it was going to be an early night. And that's just a testament of what Damian Lillard did. Damian Lillard got zero help from any of his teammates outside of, a couple Robert Covington defensive plays, but ultimately there's some stuff that happened down the stretch that really soured Robert Covington's performance. Before we get into kind of the negatives, I do want to hit on a few things with Damian Lillard. And I don't think Portland is ever going to see a player ever again that is as clutch as Damian Lillard. I don't know if the NBA will ever see a player that is clutch as clutch as Damian Lillard until his son enters the league in a, you know, a couple decades. So it's been wild to watch. Take me to the stadium. Take me to the atmosphere. What was it like watching Dame do that in an opposing arena? And what was the vibe there? You know, there were some shades of game two a little bit. If you remember what 
you know, seems like so long ago in game two, uh, coming off victory in the first first game in Denver. Uh, Denver came out looking pretty tough game two, and then Lillard started to heat up in the second. And, you know, the whole stadium kind of got the murmur. And, you, you know, as we've discussed, we've been on the other end of that, right? But it was definitely that feeling. And, you know, I was in the, I was in the building when Dame hit that shot way back against Houston in the series. And I kind of had the same confidence. And I think the Nuggets could feel just that. I mean, Dame was playing out of his damn mind, dude. And the whole arena just had that nervous murmur. There was, you know, it was back and forth. So, yo, could you come back and hit a big shot? And it was just electric in there. But everybody in there was nervous. I think right now there's no player in the NBA that can get rolling like Dame and have that big of an impact on an arena. Hey guys, this is Producer Perry, and I want to talk to you about an awesome app that we've been using here on the Church of Roy called Locker Room. It is a live, audio-only sports talk platform. You can talk to me, you can talk to Steve, Brian, lots of other insiders and athletes, including Andre Iguodala and Bam Adebayo. It is free to use on all iOS devices, including your iPhone, your iPad, and all things like that. Guys, it's been a blast being able to talk to all of you and communicate uh, in just a different way, a different avenue to, to get our points and perspectives across. So all you have to do is go to your iOS app store and download the Locker Room app for free. I think you really hit on it. Like for me, once he hits that shot to force overtime, that button goes off or that, that light goes off in my head. That's like, no way are the Blazers going to lose this game. I, I don't care how bad the matchup is down low and how Jokic is going to get to eat for the rest of this game. There's just no way Damian Lillard is going to let him lose. We've seen him do this before. People forget in that Houston series, it, James Harden wasn't James Harden yet. I mean, he was a damn fine player, but Dwight Howard was the, the problem for the Blazers in that series for the most part. And it was Damian Lillard that refused to let them lose. Even against OKC, I, I would argue that Paul George might have been, for long stretches of that series, was the best player in that series. Damian Lillard refused to let the Blazers lose. And that's what it felt like last night. And I think that's ultimately what let to that just deflating feeling at the end of that game. But still, I think it's important to take a step back and enjoy and recognize what Damian Lillard has done and what he did last night. 12 three-pointers, never been done. 55 points, 10 threes, 10 assists, never been done before. I mean, the guy scored 55 points on 24 shots. That level of efficiency is unreal. So, Brian, is that pretty clear number one best playoff performance – a Blazers ever had and would you put that as number one if you can take the sour taste out of your mouth for how that game ended I think even with the loss to me there's no doubt that that's the best uh performance in the playoffs by a trailblazer ever I think there maybe have been better or more impactful two-way games you know you look back at even LaMarcus he had those couple games against the Rockets before Dame hit that shot he's dominant on both ends um you know Drexler being a Solid two-way player back in the early 90s. He had some huge playoff outings. Even going back, you know, far before our time, I think Walton had some monster games in 77 on the Tyler run. But that his offensive output was legendary. It was literally almost a perfect offensive game from mm-hmm. both shooting and distributing. And, you know, then you throw it on the road, kind of a game five when the rest of the team's just playing like, we'll say below <laughs> par. Yeah. Um, to me, it just takes the cake, man. I, you know, if anyone 
wants to feel a little better about the game, I'd implore you to go read Dan Devine's article on the ringer. He had an excellent write up on Dame and had some really cool stats in there about, you know, his 80 points he created through baskets or assists tied a postseason record, his game score, which if you're not familiar is kind of an all encompassing one game stat, similar to a single game uh, PER is the best performance in any playoff game since 1984. I think that's probably heavily skewed offensively, but yeah. still just shows you just what we saw last night, which is an absolute outlier and an unbelievable performance. Yeah. I, I think rewinding it back just a little bit, I think this is Lillard's on the Rushmore, no matter how the game or how this postseason ends um, for the best postseason performance for the Blazers. And I will say there have been more impactful performances probably on a two-way and, and more meaningful that left you with a better feeling at the end of the game, obviously. I think, I mean, mm -hmm. obviously we're the... Tr we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Roy for a reason. That fourth quarter against Dallas still gives me goosebumps. Um, that That is the – that's – Number one, I think if this game goes differently, this supplants that. But it's tough to pass that. And then also, I mean, one guy you didn't mention that, that I think is important to mention too as far as impactful, as far as a singular moment, is Maurice Lo Lucas kind of, mm -hmm. I mean, well before our time. But definitely set the tone when things were not going the Blazers' way in that 76ers series and that title-winning year. So I, I think you covered the, the majority of it. And then I also would say in perspective – I think as we move farther away from the end result of this game, we will remember just Lillard for what it was as a performance. And I mean, the proof is the Michael Jordan 60 point game against the Celtics, the game they ultimately mm -hmm. lose and are eliminated from the playoffs against, you know, a Celtics team that's playing at the peak of their powers. So 
I would say I know it hurts right now, Rip City, but it's going to get better. We're going to look back on this performance. We're going to remember these moments. And really, I'm excited for the seeds that are being planted in a true rivalry between the Nuggets and the Blazers. This is what it feels like. And that's what I, I kept telling myself is don't go on Twitter. Don't be an asshole. Don't, you know, don't get too emotional mm-hmm. because, you know, the Nuggets were here two years ago two more overtimes and, and Rodney hood was the guy you put the dagger in. I mean, it kind of switched roles a little bit. You had Monte Morris playing the Rodney mm-hmm. hood role last night. So let's, let's just get into it. Let's just pick the scab off real quick. I mean, it's barely healed already, but um, it's not, but yeah. let's go. What are, what, if you could take back three plays from last night and change their outcome, what would they be? What sticks out? What stings the most? Oh man, you could really <laughs> a plethora to choose from there. Um, one that sticks out to me is that miss three by CJ in the corner with about a minute left in regulation or so. Um, I think Dave drove and kicked out and CJ had a good look and just went a little left, I think. So that'd be my first one. Um, another one's probably Nurks. You wish you could just take those two plays, the back-to-back fifth and sixth fouls. Uh, the moving screen, which, you know, from my vantage, didn't look bad. I watched, I rewatched it today, and it did look like a foul. I mean, he, he kind of leveled him. Rivers sold it, too. But even at the time, I was a little surprised that Stotts didn't challenge it, just because we know how important Nurk being on the floor is. Um, and then just the follow-up, the the when he uh, contested Gordon at the rim, that was tough, man. It's just, that seemed like a complete frustration balance. Mm-hmm. Those would probably honestly be my three. I think that just not having Nurk in those overtimes was um, huge. And I mean, it took all Dame had to even get us there. Right. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll save Nurk for last for me. Cause I have some expanded thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. I would say for me, the, the, I think when I knew the game was kind of over was the Michael Porter Jr. three-pointer, about a minute and a half left in the second overtime. Yep. The Blazers did everything right for what they could against Jokic on that play. They collapsed around him successfully. Unfortunately, there is a price to pay. Jokic connected on an absolute beautiful pass to to Porter Jr. in the corner, and he just drilled it. Um, something that the Blazers weren't able to do from the corner the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um and that was just something overall that really just stung the whole game is I feel like the Blazers just could not hit those high percentage looks. They got plenty of, of opportunities in the corner and they just couldn't convert them. And you can't do that in this situation and expect to have a winning result. Number two singular moment for me was probably CJ McCollum, 10 seconds left. You feel like the Blazers are going to defy the odds yet again and force a third overtime gets the ball instantly steps out. And I, there's two things to that play. I was a little surprised Lillard got rid of the ball so early and attempted that pass in such a risky situation. Cause you still have time on the clock to get a good three point shot and get into a good look. McCollum kind of loses track of where he's at on the floor. It just compounds an overall awful night for him. Steps right out of, out of bounds, turnover nuggets ball. The game gets put on ice. Then we get to the whole use of Nurkish thing. So we're going to backtrack a little bit. Sure. 
I was really concerned after that first stint in, in the third quarter. So he gets one foul in the first quarter, 19 minutes. That's excellent. You think we're cruising. We're headed to a game three type performance where he's able to stay on the floor, match Jokic's minutes, and really be that defensive presence. He comes in, he gets, you know, hit with three quick fouls, and he's out of the game. He comes back in, plays two more minutes, gets two more fouls, fouls out. So he finishes with 24 minutes and six fouls. In five minutes, he picked up five fouls in the second half. That's just completely unacceptable. And there's a couple of things. Yes, that foul on Rivers is is a bang-bang play. I think it could have got called either way in the postseason. Maybe you see that as a no-call. But like you said, the contact was there. Austin Rivers did the right thing as an NBA veteran and sold that call. The thing that kills me is he goes down the floor. He makes a foul that you cannot make when you have five fouls. And then Robert Covington, there's the subtle thing that drove me crazy is Robert Covington is there trying, raising his hand, trying to sell that foul as his own. Nurkic doesn't even put on the facade or the charade of trying to do it. He instantly walks to the bench and grabs a towel. And that just strikes me as a player that was ready to get out of that game. And I don't know if it's, he's out of rhythm and he feels like he wanted to come in and impose his will in those non Jokic minutes himself. And I, I wonder if he's, I don't know. I try not to think about what players are thinking, but he is so Jokic dependent in this series that I think a player like Nurkic, we've seen him at his happiest when the Blazers have made him a focal point of their offense. And they have not done that in this series. And I wonder when the going got tough, if he just looked for the exit sign and it clearly looked that way on that last foul. Am I reading into that too much? No, here are my notes. I have the same thing. I mean, to me, it just looked like kind of a frustration foul. And it's like he's taking his ball and going home. Um, I think we're going to get into some of these other guys' performances. But I think as a team, you know, everyone played pretty hard. Maybe that first quarter was a little rough defensively, especially. But, you know, I don't think that all these poor performances were due to lack of effort. But Nurk just seemed like he kind of quit. And so I'm ready for Kendrick Perkins to – <laughs> fire out a tweet to light a fire under his ass for game six. So if you have direct link to Perk, make sure you let him know. Send him a clip. <laughs> I, I, he seems pretty responsive on social media. So maybe <laughs> maybe we could try something. Let's holler at him. But, okay. I feel like I just went on a huge Nurk tangent, but I felt like it needed to be said. It was one of the most frustrating things I saw last night. And, and I feel like, C.J. McCollum, just for how that game ended, had a huge target on his back and the role Mm -hmm. he's supposed to play with this team. I can see why he had the bigger target, but Nurk's performance was incredibly frustrated for me, mainly because it is the whole thing with him and this team is we know what it looks like when he's playing good. We know Mm -hmm. what the potential is when he's playing good, and he he clearly wasn't dialed in, and he wasn't living up to his potential in that that second half of that game. You just can't do that in these situations. Well, he's the second most important player on this team at this Mm -hmm. point, and I don't even think it's really that close. I think with CJ, you know, if he's having a little off night, I think you can have a Norm Powell step in and fill a little bit of that wing scoring. But there's no one that can do it. You you see what Yusuf Nurkic can do Mm -hmm. for this team, and it's just so apparent when he's off the floor. I could be wrong, but I believe that in every game he's fouled out, Portland's lost. Yes. Every game he's he hasn't, they've won. And so you want to really boil it down. I think you just have to find a way to keep his head in it and 
you know, keep him out of foul trouble. And, and really, okay, so I'm going to rewind a little bit more and go on it because I think everybody's focusing on that last foul. The thing that's crazy about me is he had six fouls and three of them were offensive at the end of the night. And, and yes, the, the legal screen is tough, but there was one play in the third where he gets the ball, mouse in the house, is backing a guy down from the nail, basically. Mm-hmm. And I think there's like – I call it like the Draymond Green zone. I think if you're a, a big guy and you're trying to back somebody down and you have a serious size advantage, the refs are going to be working against you because you're not going to get more than two bumps on that play and then that guy's going to flop, and most of the time they're going to get the whistle because it just looks so crazy to the eye. Mm-hmm. Whereas Draymond Green kind of threads that needle where he's a smaller player, and he's the only guy who I've seen that's just gotten away from a straight top of the key all the way down to the restricted area is going to back somebody down forcefully and not get a whistle. Nurk has to know in that situation that – I don't know if it was Compazzo or Monte Morris that picked him up on that play, but he backed him all the way in on that final bump you know, his grace period's over with the officials at that point. And that guy flops and the whistle comes. So that one yep. stuck out. And I feel like too many people are focusing on some of those other ones and the missed call potentially with that fifth foul. I think it's important to remember that they got there for a reason and there was some real mental errors that got him there. So, yeah. And not to just sit here and hammer Nurk, but the guy also had six turnovers in 24 minutes to lead the team. Um, you know, uh, on a good night, that's Portland's team total, right? Maybe a little shy, but that's you for a team that can't get any stops and needs to get up as many point as many shots as they can. That amount of turnovers just isn't going to get it done. Hey guys, this is producer Perry, and I want to talk to you about an awesome app that we've been using here on the Church of Roy called Locker Room. It is a live audio-only sports talk platform. You can talk to me, you can talk to Steve, Brian, lots of other insiders and athletes, including Andre Iguodala and Bam Adebayo. It is free to use on all iOS devices, including your iPhone, your iPad, and all things like that. Guys, it's been a blast being able to talk to all of you and communicate uh, in just a different way, a different avenue to, to get our points and perspectives across. So all you have to do is go to your iOS app store and download the Locker Room app for free. All right, so let's let's give Nurk a break. I hope he bounces back. Beat him. Like I said, I hope he is plenty motivated and he is an emotional player and hopefully he's hearing the noise today. Um, what are your thoughts on Norm and CJ? Because in our, I think we basically agree on this. They're outside of Nurk, they're the most important players on this team. They're the guys who were, when they step up, this team looks totally different. It gets the pressure off of Lillard on the perimeter. What did you see from them? from game four to game five and where, how do they pick up the pieces and what, what really stood out is what went wrong in game five for those two guys. Yeah. You know, CJ had no, he had a much better game four, probably his best outing of the series, but the guy really hasn't looked quite right. The entire series. Um, I even went back and was just watching some clips from the last time, um, uh, Portland and Denver played when mm-hmm. Portland won seven and he just kind of looked like a different guy, just much more fluid. I think he looked a little faster. I don't know if he's a little banged up or if he's just still working his way back or what's going on. But the fact that he's essentially got outplayed by either rivers or Morris and, mm-hmm. you know, most games is just shocking, you know, and I don't, when we kind of sat there before the series started and looked at 
kind of roster matchups and, and where we thought Portland would have a huge advantage. I think it was universally accepted that Portland's backcourt was going to outplay, you know, they might have, Denver might have, you know, upper hand at three out of the five starting positions and their bench might be better. But I think we thought that the backcourt would really make up for a lot of that. And we just haven't seen it out of CJ. Um, he also had a pretty rough night defensively yesterday. He went under a lot of screens on Morris and to Morris's credit, you know, he's not known as a sniper, but he toasted whoever yeah. Portland threw at him last night. So um, for him, you know, I, I don't even know if you going back to game four is enough. I think we need even more mm-hmm. out of him. Yeah. I, I think he was in a, a super rough situation this whole, especially last night on both ends of the floor defensively. The guy is playing like he's never seen an off-ball screen before in his life, and it drives me absolutely crazy. Like, and it just puts Portland's entire defense at a disadvantage, to where you have guys scrambling away from the ball. And the thing about Nikola Jokic is, is if you give him a window, he's going to absolutely exploit it, and he has over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. McCollum on the offensive end, I will say this: we've seen CJ McCollum make a bunch of contested mid-range shots and contested shots in his career. That's nothing new. The shots he has made, that's normally what it's looked like in this series. The thing that's really missing, like you said, is that fluid movement where he just absolutely leaves a guy in the dust, which when CJ is firing on all cylinders, he's doing that a couple times a game. He's not doing that in this series. Mm -hmm. He is, you know, two steps to the side, step back, shot who knows if it's going in or not we're not seeing that from him as far as norm goes talk about two polar opposite games i mean this is a very norm friendly podcast game four he is playing out of his mind he's everything we've ever wanted for a running mate for damian lillard Mm -hmm. in game five we kind of saw the game one game two kind of uh-oh mistakes popping up where the three-pointers the three-point shots are going up and they're high percentage looks in the corner yep he's not finishing at the rim like he's had a couple where he's double clutching it and he's missing just shots that he should be making um i think he is the guy who is if anybody's going to bounce back in game six i think it is norm powell because i think that guy has been here before he's been in tough situations in the postseason. He knows what winning basketball looks like in these situations. And I think he's going to come to play in game six. I certainly hope so. What did you see from norm specifically in game fours game four compared to game five? Yeah. Four, he's just playing with a whole other level of kind of swagger. You know, you can see it flexing on guys and just seemed like when he got cooking, it was like, he thought he, I think he thought he was the best player on the floor and <laughs> truly believed it. <laughs> and, you know, for long stretches, he was. And so, um, I don't know. He's hard to pin down, man. It, he really is kind of tough because I thought even last night in five, he's moving well. I think he was, I think the effort was there. I thought he had some really good uh, defensive stands against Porter, even though Porter, I mean, played lights out. I think the Porter game kind of saw it coming might have happened. I mean, he was hitting some tough, tough shots, but I don't know, man. It, <laughs> I wish I knew exactly where good pal and, and yeah. below average pal, what that difference was, but it was like 
different player offensively for sure between the two games. And we got to hope he rediscovers his touch here in six. And just so we have, I think it's becoming a reoccurring theme on this podcast. There's definitely a moment last night where I'm thinking Zach Collins would be super useful in this series. <laughs> hey, you're, hey, I think you were giving me some shit when I yep, dropped that yep. one at the end of one of these pods. But yeah, yeah, I think it, I think it's becoming the new one of the new mantras for this podcast is, "Hey, uh, Zach Collins would be kind of useful right now." So <laughs> I, I think. I will credit Terry Stotts. It hasn't always looked pretty, but he has shied away from Ennis Cantor as much as he can when he can. Obviously, when foul trouble changes that equation, mm-hmm. Cantor is back in. It's just such a disappointment, and we're going to do it. There's going to be a long autopsy on this season at some point by us. I, it's just crazy to me that they just don't have any other big men options. It is such a bummer that Harry, Harry Giles did not work out with this team. It sucks that Ennis Cantor is basically kind of living up into the can't play Cantor, which I will say Cantor had moments last night where he, he did the best played to the best of his ability. Um, But you know, it's just not enough when you're playing against an MVP level center. Um, That was going to be my point, Steve. It's like at the end of the day, it's first round of the playoffs. We're playing a three seed and we have Carmelo Anthony and Ennis Cantor out there guarding the league MVP. And just, like, sit there and soak that in for a second. Yep. I mean, these aren't good defenders patched up against the MVP of the league in overtime of a playoff game. These aren't even average defenders. I mean, these are two of the guys with some of the worst defensive reputations in the league guarding the MVP. And it's just kind of hard to fathom that that's a position that Stotts is in. You know, he just has minimal options at that point when Nurk is out. Yeah, I, the, it comes down to roster construction and and also just playing the cards that you're dealt. And maybe this team looks differently if their defensive scheme clicks at the start of the year, which it didn't. Um, you're seeing a lot of things compound real quick. And hopefully Portland can address some of these in the offseason. I mean, hopefully they advance, which I want to get to. But yep. eventually they – you know, there has to be – a true Nurk backup or, or a different center that isn't Yusuf Nurkic. Because I think one thing we've learned is Yusuf Nurkic can be great, but he's also incredibly unreliable in a lot of situations, whether that's out of his control with injuries or, or if it's his attitude or, or ability to stay out of foul trouble in high pressure matchups. Going into game six, I think it's important to mention the Blazers have been here before. They have, you know, in 2019, they were down 3-2 to the Nuggets. Same recipe. Game six, came home to Portland, won, went to Denver, won, advanced to the Western Conference Finals. I do think it's important to note that game five was drastically different. The Blazers, it is not this huge emotional letdown. Granted, the Blazers got their ass kicked in game five of the 2019 series, (laughs) a game they were never in, down by 18 and a half never really had an 18 point third quarter. So they came out flat after halftime too. So how does Portland recover here? Do you think they can do it again? What's your biggest sign of optimism going in here? And do you think they can put it together and get two here? Well, I'm going to just start with game six here. (laughs) Um, I expect the Blazers to regroup. I think they'll play their asses off and win in Portland and force game seven. I think just having that home crowd should help out some of these role players that are kind of struggling. You know, I think 
statistically always get a little bit of a bump uh, from those guys at, at home in particular. But it's going to be an uphill climb. Um, I know Denver got far more minutes out of their bench than Portland did. CJ and Dame both played almost an hour. <laughs> I think it was like 50 minutes, but they were out there a long time. So hopefully they can get their legs back. But I think being at home, I, I think they'll take that one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, going into game seven, this is a team that's faced adversity this year. You know, don't forget that losing streak. You know, they had the five in a row and then follow that up with a big winning streak to essentially save the season. I think that this team's got some metal. And I think, and I'm hopeful that they'll show it here in these next two games, we'll call it. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't know. I hate to say it, but I th- I'm pretty optimistic about game six, mm-hmm. mainly because if there was ever a time where these guys know they have to step up, I mean, these guys are human. At the end of the day, they have to know that they are going to be known as a supporting cast that was on the losing end of a Damian Lillard 55-point playoff game. And I assume a lot of these guys are going to come out gunning because in game four, Lillard was off. It was one of the – like I I was telling my wife, we were at the game. I was telling her, this might be the worst I've seen Lillard play in person ever. Like, mm-hmm. all his shots were short. Nothing was falling. I mean, he did other things very well. He rebounded very well. He he got, I think, 10 assists in that game. So, he did other things very well. But shooting and scoring-wise, that was not the case. This team knows what it's like to carry the load. They know – and they blew out Denver in that game. I hope they can replicate that. And if there's ever a game where Norman Powell heading into free agency knows he needs to pick it up and C.J. McCollum has to be hearing the noise, along with Yusuf Nurkic, those guys – I think are primed to step up. Then you go back to Denver and it's anybody's game. I think, I mean, Portland's already won in Denver. Granted it was game one. If anybody does anything down the stretch, the Blazers get out of game five with a victory. So I like their chances in game six, game seven, I think is anybody's ball game if they get down there. Yep. I think something to, that was kind of reason for optimism too, is the player Robert Covington. You know, you had two, um, kind of blown dunks, dunks that were pretty awful. But he was active, and he really hit the boards hard. You know, he kind of had to as a just guy on the floor for Portland for stretches. But I think when Covington's knocking down the three, it really opens up the offense. So hopefully he continue to, you know, if he shoots 50% from three and grabs 11 boards a game, I mean, you have to – you can't ask much more out of the guy than that. Yeah, I think all the – we've seen the ingredients for what it takes Portland to win in this series – and it's just a matter of getting there and shaking off a really terrible game and not letting guys like Monte Morris and Austin Rivers beat you. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Let's, let's divert just a little bit out of the postseason because we had an interesting sequence of events go on today. Uh, the Boston Celtics eliminated from the playoffs. They've decided to – or Danny Ainge stepped down from his position in the front office – Brad Stevens is stepping down from his coaching position and moving into the front office. Then it comes out later in the day that Danny Ainge isn't looking just to retire here. He has interest in coming back to the league or a rumored interest. Mm-hmm. So according to Kevin, Kevin O'Connor from the ringer on Ryan Rosillo's podcast said that there's two teams on Danny Ainge's list that are rumored to be on there. One is the Utah jazz one is the Portland Trailblazers, and the Trailblazers make obvious sense. Danny Ainge, a Eugene, born in Eugene, played for the Blazers, Oregon Sports Hall of Fame. It'd be kind of a fitting, cool end to his career, be back on his home turf. 
granted, in order for Danny Ainge to get here, there has to be a shakeup in the Blazers' front office. Uh, that would obviously mean Neil O'Shea is either changing roles or is no longer in the organization. First, what do you think of Danny Ainge? Do you think there's actual smoke and fire to this rumor? And how would you feel about Danny Ainge coming to Portland potentially? You know, it seems like Portland has more somebody's coming home back to the team storylines than any other franchise in the league for whatever reason with Kevin Love and Dan, Danny Ainge. It seems like they always get connected to those guys. But, um, you know, Ainge's had a lot of success in Boston over the 17, 18 years he's been around, I believe, in, in that role. That might be a little long, but um, I think he has some red flags just with some of the stuff that's gone on with that franchise as of late. Um, you know, I don't profess to be an expert on the Celtics, but just a little – there's some weird vibes coming out of there with Isaiah Thomas – uh, Gordon Hayward, Al Horford, and Kyrie Irving all kind of leaving on bad terms. I think you could maybe explain away a couple of those. There's some, you know, a lot of variables there. But when you have that many guys kind of leaving the organization, it kind of makes you wonder. Um, they also had the sort of the season from hell this year. But I, I can't help but wonder if there is a little bit of culture stuff. I don't think it must not be too pronounced if they're willing to take their coach and, and put him yeah. in you know, elevate them in the, in the organization. Um, but it's just maybe a slight cause for concern on my end. Yeah. I, I think, well, with the Brad Stevens promotion, it could be two things. It could be Brad Stevens is clearly not the problem. Let's move him up in the organization and get Danny out of here. Like that, that mm -hmm. is a potential red flag. That's a two way street. But also I, I see what you're saying as far as it could just be the culture is not completely toxic here. Um, Producer Perry Butler, Butler alum, is watching closely from the from the back here, making sure I don't say any Brad Stevens slights. Um, I think Danny Ainge, though, I think there are plenty of cons here, and I think the last few years of his tenure there, like you said, there's been some sour endings there. I think there's also always been that just looming thing of he had all that draft capital from the Nets, and what did he really turn mm -hmm. it into? I mean, yes. He nailed it with Jason Tatum and Jalen Green, but there's really not a lot else. I mean, Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown, sorry. Like, who, the, who the hell is Jalen Green? <laughs> I don't Outside know. Prospect. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, <laughs> They're drafting him next year. I got I got game five brain. Um, You're good, man. You're good. Anyway, uh, I I think he's he's had some hits. He's found some good role players. Marcus Smart's a fine player. Yeah. What I'd be interested in is it if Danny Ainge can get back to that 2003 to 2008 Danny Ainge, which I think that's a perfect recipe for what Portland would need. Potentially you have two very popular players, but very obviously flawed production in Antoine Walker and Paul Pierce. They're a fun team, but they're clearly not going to go anywhere. Um, Danny Ainge makes the, I mean, he hired in 2003 makes the unpopular decision to get rid of, of Antoine Walker and really try to build a winner around Paul Pierce, ultimately culminating in getting Kevin, Dur Kevin Garnett and, and uh, Ray Allen. If he can bring that type of intensity to the Blazers, I'm all in, but there's a couple of things here. One, it's been a decade since he, he won over a decade since he won executive of the year. He won that in 2008. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we can get back there, if he has that appetite to shake things up, which he might have in a new organization where he's looking to come in and make a marquee move. Um, 
I just don't know. I, I think with him, he's had some health conditions recently. It might be nice to just yep. see him enjoy his retirement. If you want, I welcome him with open arms to come back to Oregon, become a pillar in the community here again, and be a part of the Blazers organization in another facet of his late career or late professional career. So I just don't see it. I also don't see Neil O'Shea as being on the hot seat. I, I think it's Terry Stotts. Terry mm-hmm. Stotts' hot seat, although a performance like game five definitely turns the temperature up on Neil O'Shea because I don't think it was a coaching issue in game five very clearly. it was. I, I don't think you can put on paper a better blueprint for the argument for this was a poorly constructed roster. Damian Lillard does not have the right amount of help right now. So whether or not that leads to any added pressure to Neil O'Shea this offseason is to be seen. I don't think so. I think he's going to find a way out of this and get at least one more year. Is that yeah, your feeling? I'm with you on that. I think, I think Olshay will be around as long as he wants to. I think he knows how to work it. Um, one thing with Ainge, you know, he does kind of make you wonder if maybe he is more comfortable in a role where he's taking a good team and trying to turn him into a great team. Where in that, you know, you mentioned it'd be a, it's been a decade since he's been executive of the year, but maybe the kind of rebuild isn't isn't his strength maybe he's that guy to take you to the next level but I also do wonder um you know you need those agent connections and with all those soured exits you wonder if he'd be able to swing a trade like that ever again with how some of these exits have gone from Boston here in the last you know three four years or something so um just got a lot of variables there I I don't really I'd be curious to see if it's just a little smoke we never hear anything or um if there is a little, you know, meat yeah. on that rumor, but the jazz thing also is a little strange to me. I yeah. don't understand unless he's coming in as more of a consultant yeah. type role. I don't know why you'd shake up that organization right now when they're, when yeah. they're rolling. Yeah. Utah's firmly leapfrogged the blazers as far as where they stand in the league and built a very competent roster in a market where it's hard to do that. So I, I don't see why you would be changing things. I know there has been a little bit of an ownership change in, in Utah as far as structurally how it's set up, but I don't see them changing their that side of things. Um, I don't really think we have too much more here. Obviously, we're all going to be tuned in for, for game six. Depending on how that goes, we'll definitely change the tone of, of how we transition to our, to our next phase of content here. Hopefully we're, we're on here talking about game seven or, or the next round of the playoffs. I think it is important. And one thing that we have learned in this series is stay grounded. Don't get too excited. We've seen this pivot back and forth of the Blazers are going to put together a finals run to, Oh my God, they're going to be out in the next game. Now, obviously it changes a little bit with them facing elimination. I would just say, take a deep breath, enjoy this team, enjoy Damian Lillard. That doesn't mean that you're edge, you know, you're, you're siding on the side of complacency or mediocrity. It means that you're a basketball fan. You love this team. We love this team. It's okay to ride the highs and lows, but just remember to come back to the middle. Remember to enjoy it. This is a ride we've all lived through the Blazers not making the playoffs. We're here. It's competitive. It's not going to be a gentleman's sweep. So let's stay grounded. Brian, what do you have to say? Yeah, I I think it's really well said, Steve. It's really easy to overreact, 
over one game. It's kind of, you know, what fans do. Right. And so, you know, we have two chances to get out of this thing and I think Portland's going to bring it. I think we're looking at a bounce back game on game six. So can't wait. Yep. So as always, please rate review, give us five stars, tell your friends. We appreciate all the support we're getting. Um, like I said, this is going to be it's our first playoff run. We're just getting into this. Let's keep the momentum going. We, we love and appreciate all of you guys. Um, follow us at the church of Roy pod. Uh, Brian has been at the games. He caught some awesome video from last game. It's worth going on following <laughs> and checking it out. Um, he almost held the frame for the whole shot, but it, I mean, a little excitement at the end. So we appreciate that. I was going bananas, man. The phone went flying. Uh, no cracks. It's intact. So hopefully I can get the next one. You're a changed man. It's like I don't even know you. I know, actually, right? Actually, I'll leave people with this. Speaking of cracks, I had – I so just when I thought this 24 hours was not going to get any weirder or terrible, more terrible than it was in that Blazers game. I'm heading out on vacation this weekend. I've had some kimchi that one of my coworkers had made for me in the back of our office fridge. I'm okay. like, hey, this is time for me to take it home. So I have about an hour commute. Sitting in my car, the two glasses clink together. And I'm like, I don't know, kimchi is basically fermenting cabbage. So I'm like, oh, what's that? Somebody's exhaust smells terrible. And I'm like, oh, oh no. I look over and like the bag's wet. So I have like this wet bag of rotting cabbage in my car. And I'm like, I, you can't just chuck it out your window. So I, and I'm, God knows I'm not taking a fucking exit on I-5 at three o'clock. So I'm holding this thing out my window, driving broken glass, dripping rotten cabbage juice. And I just pull into a gas station, do the whole thing. Like I'm hiding a gun in a garbage, drop it in the garbage. And then like, I feel guilty. So I like wash my windshield like that makes it any better and then i fucking drive out of there and now i don't know if my car is ever going to bounce back from spilled kimchi but we'll see stay tuned it's going to sit in a hot driveway all weekend while i'm at the coast so i'll keep you updated it was a rough rough go so i'll leave you with that the blazers might have lost but at least you don't have kimchi in your car we love you follow us subscribe five stars we love you guys good night Thanks for listening to this episode of the Church of Roy podcast. If you like what you heard, go ahead and subscribe to the show wherever you download your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Church of Roy Pod and be sure to check out our live show on Locker Room every Saturday bright and early at 8 a.m. Pacific.